it's science. This is your host, Justin Romare, with The Starving Podcast, and my co-host here is... Jordan. Hey, guys. Jordan, we're back. How's it going today? Going all right. Nice and uh, nice and clear and sunny in Prague, which is spectacular for this time of year. Why do you always mention the weather? Because it's, it's usually miserable here, and that it's like it, I'm, I'm being serious. That it's like a day of sunlight is. I, I pray for it. I counted it. We had one sunny day in like fourteen, four, two weeks the other day. That so was. It adds up. Anyway, you can you can go on. <laughs> oh man! So we have a special guest today. His name is Jed Snelson. Um, he is an adaptive athlete, four times at the CrossFit Games, a five-year professional in motocross, seven in race for 17 years total. Um, he's helped a lot of MMA athletes, X Games athletes with their strength and conditioning, uh, and works as a trainer and coach um, for motocross and supercross athletes. He is currently ranked second. Um, fittest seated athlete on earth and he just won the adaptive open um for seated athletes uh the fittest in the open so jed what's up hey guys how's it going great man great to have you on um obviously a a great rap sheet here and obviously so much to talk about today uh regards to your life your diet and how you approach things uh as an adaptive athlete yeah yeah i'm excited to share and hopefully give a little bit of a glimpse on uh on what it looks like uh, competing on a higher level as a as an adaptive athlete. Absolutely. All right, Jed. So I'll kick us off. Um, this is a question we ask all of our guests, and we ask, uh, "What is the biggest mistake people uh, make when they're deciding to start a diet?" Um, I think to say one thing is is kind of hard. I think there's two things that kind of go hand in hand when I think about that, and I think one is trying to do everything at once. And then second, that kind of goes hand in hand to that is patience. I think that people try and make changes and it's kind of like trying to quit smoking, right? Like people try to go cold turkey and it just, for most people, that doesn't work. And whatever changes you're trying to make to your diet or whatever, you know, sugar addictions or, or bad food addictions that you're trying to adjust it's hard when you try and go cold Turkey and change everything at once. I've never even done that with my, with my athletes that I work with coaching who I help with nutrition. You know, we've always tried to start small, uh, make small adjustments, you know, and, and, and even though we know where we need to go or or where exactly we want to go, we try and change it over time. And then I think knowing that, that you have to be patient with yourself as far as your results and that everybody wants, you know, to do a diet for four weeks or, or whatever, and they want to see results right away, or they, you know, they want to see, you know, whether it be, uh, y- you know, visual results or, or, or whatever, it takes time. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me is just not trying to do everything at once and be patient when you're, it's a process, right? If you're trying to do something right, you want to make habits that will last. And so you, you can't do that all at once. I like that. That's that's something we've talked about a few times here is if you're making a change, instead of thinking about it as a diet, think about it as as, as a lifestyle change. So, you know, being able to be, be being able to be, have that human side to a change in what you're eating. Don't just look at it in the short term. I like that. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Like so many people 
they, you know, you don't, you don't start a gym program and then start working out six days a week, you know, for however long, you know, yeah. and, and just be able to handle that. You have to build over time. And, and so your diet's the same way as it, when we look at it and when we understand how important nutrition and, and, you know, exercise are going hand in hand and that they're, they're almost equal. You, you can't expect to change one all at once when you wouldn't change the other all at once. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Yeah, no, it's good. I think, um, you know, and, and to make those lifestyle tra- changes um, and to start eat intrinsically, which is how we approach our clients at Consistency Breeds Growth, um, you know, we have people that want to sign up with us for like a month. And it's like, it's really hard to, to coach someone who signs up for such a short amount of time because, um, you know, we feel that uh, to really make uh, true long-term progress, long-term adherence, uh, to whatever diet protocol that you're prescribing um, to the client or athlete. You need longer than that. Um, and I'm wondering what your perspective is. So there are a lot of coaches out there now that, um, and it seems like these are the coaches making the most money. I don't know how, but they're really, um, they're not, they're not like a big fan or, or, or at least the way that their Instagram portrays things. And maybe it's just to bring clients in. I don't know, but they're like, um, you had a bad day. It's okay. Like sort of patting them on the back, like let them cry on their shoulder sort of mentality. Um, and, and for us, like, honestly, I have clients approach me and I'm sort of the same. I'm like, you know, it's okay. Don't worry. But I'm not, I'm not like you didn't mess up, you know, like, no, you failed. Like for that meal, like you were adhering to a particular thing, uh, and something prescriptive that, we're both on the same team trying to strive for, right? Whatever those goals are and anything not conducive to that, um, is it's not, it's not a good thing. So, um, and I think that there's a balance between, uh, trying to be one, um, you know, helping the client adhere best as possible to the best possible diet. Uh, but also, you know, coming in from their lens and their perspective to say, okay, this person was eating fast food for 10 years, you know, and now I have them prepping all the food. I have them eating a particular amount of macronutrients and things like that, having them sleep more, more hydration, like they were doing almost everything wrong. So I'm wondering like how you might take a client or, or someone that you're training and, um, you know, more, just give a more detailed description of of what that looks like at the very beginning. Yeah, so and, and it's it's been a little bit of a challenge with me too because most of the athletes I've worked with on that level are very young, um, you know, and and primarily working in supercross and motocross that way. Most of those athletes are you know average age of between nineteen to twenty one, and so you it's tough to have somebody that young to start out and just you know expect them to have the discipline to just okay you know you're you're a professional athlete you know you're you're really trying to make these changes and we got to do this all at once so what i've generally done is is we've we've kind of taken it on a week by week basis knowing that we're trying to build a long term plan and say you know okay you spoke about somebody that, you know, like you said, for 10 years, maybe they've, they've just 
inherently eaten fast food or whatever. Instead of trying to take all that away at once, we'll say, okay, let's make it a goal of, you know, one, making better choices for fast food. And two, let's limit ourselves to only having it three days a week, you know, for that first couple of weeks and then see, you know, logging stuff, see how that goes. And then when they've done that, then we'll go, okay, now we're going to limit down to, you know, two or one day a week. And then, and then just slowly make those adjustments so that you are building habits so that when, you know, by the end of it, they, and I think that too, by doing that too, by making micro adjustments that we see what really affects the individual, because I think a large part of this too, is we try and look at, you know, especially people in general, trying to make diet adjustments or trying to make, you know, macro nutritional adjustments or whatnot, like they, they see it was successful for somebody else, you know, especially with social imaging today and whatnot. And, and they think that they can just copy and paste that and, and it'll work for them too. But one of the things I've, I've definitely found through my own nutritional journey is that, you know, not everybody's built the same, you know, we all have different blood types, we all have different chemical makeups. Um, and so what worked for somebody else may not work for, for me or, or, or another person. And so that's another thing is by making slow changes, we see how that affects us. And maybe it's a, a step on, you know, well, that didn't really work for me or, oh, well, that really affected me when I noticed, you know, I started adding, you know, this, this type of, you know, vegetable or, or, or this type of, of, you know, specific carbohydrate in, in into my diet. And, and so you see more positive reactions that way because people tend to buy in when they see how individual little micro changes help them. And, and then it's easier to make more adjustments seeing that progress that way. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, that's, uh, it's really good. Um, so I think basically from that, we could take, you have to do a really detailed assessment of who you're working with, right? Because then you can outline Big goals that are on a weekly basis that are more realistic, right? So like if I come to a client that eats fast food all the time, right? And I give them our uh, intrinsic diet blueprints, okay? That tells them exactly what to eat and when to eat it for every meal. They need to prep everything and yada, yada. And the goal is to do start doing that, right? Then they're, they're, I'm setting them up for failure as a coach, right? But if I have someone who has been tracking their macros or, or something a little bit more uh, rigorous in terms of dialing in their nutrition, and I give them something along the lines that's a bit more prescriptive for, let's say, their, 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 their genes and their blood work and things of this nature, maybe that's a better segue for someone um, than, you know, working with someone who's has hyperinsulinemia or high cholesterol and, and really just been eating really bad for, for multiple years. I think, absolutely. Yeah. I think in that case too, that, you know, I, there's something big, even my own dieting is that establishing that sort of that time in that, you know, that buying into the program. So, you know, you can, for me, when I started out on, for me, I'm, I'm very all or nothing. I don't like to be, you know, you can have, you know, crap two or three times a week. I'm much better with a clean break. But along with that, you know, the first day's hard. The second day's a little bit less hard. The third day, you know, fourth, fifth of first weekend, it's not nearly as problematic. And I think that just with 
with most people that once you have time put into something, it gets harder to sort of derail yourself. Or if you do make a mistake, you say, okay, like Justin said earlier, it's one meal, you, you screwed up, let's not take that one meal and let it spiral out of control and lose all of that that uh, that time in. I, I don't know a better term for it, but just something that, that comes to mind. I also found, um, I don't have the, the paper in front of me now, but that once you go from a, a very wide diet, so something that's incorporating uh, fast food, you know, processed carbs, all that sort of stuff, that um, when you're eating a less uh, less varied diet, but varied in the sense that there's lots of crap in it, your body actually re will start to crave that stuff less. I mean, that's that goes along with the the insulin responses. But uh, I'll I'll get the the reference for the for the reading list, but that. The idea of eating a, a smaller, more nutrient-dense diet, you actually, never mind the physiological response, but the psychological response, your body just doesn't start to be as hungry anymore, so you can actually stick to your macros much more effectively because you're, you know, you're, you're eating for fuel as opposed to, I'm stressed out today, or I have to, you know, it was a birthday to celebrate, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and then, and then you, you, you know, that, that makes it easier to make those long-term adjustments and make that more of a lifestyle than uh, a fad, yeah. you know. Yeah, and this is uh, like what Jordan said with this this article. Um, you know, two, two things. People that eat sort of the same foods all the time end up inherently eating less. Um, this is just something that happens, and this is why a lot of restrictive diets like uh, – you know, vegans and things like that, people end up losing a lot of weight on these food composition-based diets because they end up eating a lot of the same foods, which, it, you know, it, it's in the beginning, it's good. And then obviously we have a rate of 80% people that go vegetarian or vegan actually revert back, not saying that some people can't follow that, they can. And then the second point is, especially with carbohydrates and sugar and refined carbohydrates, your body in terms of metabolic flexibility starts to really only know how to process carbs very well. And therefore, when all the carbohydrate is used up from your last meal, what happens? You're hungry again. And you eat carbohydrates again because that is what you metabolize best because that's what your body knows how to do. Um, and eventually, obviously, you can you know, start to build up too much glucose in the blood and that's where hyperinsulinemia comes in, which leads to diabetes and all these other things. So yeah, it's definitely a, a real thing that, um, you know, that people experience when it comes to their uh, trying to build a healthy relationship with food. They, you have to really assess that. And I think, Jed, you would agree with me that, um, you know, when it comes to dieting and nutrition, um, if people really want help, they shouldn't resort to an app um, so much to, to help you know, if they really want guidance, they really want to build lifestyle change. It's really hard to get uh, what you need from an application um, online or a built-in program that's not specified for you. You're sort of, um, you know, you're, you're wasting time because eventually you're going to have to, if you don't reach where you're going to be, you have to resort to getting a coach anyways or someone that's going to be able to help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that 100%. Makes sense, you know. Um, so, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about your story. There are a lot of different adaptive athletes out there in the sport of CrossFit. You have, you know, paraplegic athletes, uh, congenital amputations, um, 
we, we work with an athlete, uh, Nick Noel. He is a, uh, you know, fighter for Bellator, um, that has a congenital amputation of his arm just formed by basically blood clots, uh, in utero. So this is how basically he was born. Um, could you tell us, uh, define a little bit, uh, you know, what, uh, being a paraplegic athlete is and, um, you know, tell us sort of your story of how, um, you know, you've used it to your advantage and how your life's changed as a result of that and how you, you know, use that to, to motivate yourself and your, and your clients. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> being a paraplegic basically is, um, so it's, it's, first of all, it's, it's a damage to the spinal cord. And so there's, there's a cutoff between, you know, um, physical use of the muscles and, and connection to the brain, um, where that there's been nerve damage there so that I, I, I have no control of, uh, a, you know, specific group of, of muscles and, and depending on where that damage is in the spinal column. Um, for me, I was damaged at the T12, um, segment of the spinal column. And so that means that basically I have no use of my legs, you know, basically I'm paralyzed from the waist down, um, that, that you know, when you def define the difference between a paraplegic and a quadriplegic, a quadriplegic is of, uh, the, the, you know, generally the C sector where you, you have no use of any of your limbs, um, or, or, or there is some, you know, some, uh, nerve damage to where you may have limited use of, of your four limbs. Um, and, and so, like I said, being a paraplegic, I'm specifically a T12, um, that can go, you know, clear up as high as like a, a T3 or, or, um, or whatnot, where, you know, you may have, you know, very limited use of, of chest, no abdominal muscles or whatnot. You still have use of your arms. Um, but, but there you're limited on, on core and, and your legs as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of the category where I, I, uh, fall in there is, is as, as a T12, I'm basically, I have no use of my muscles from the, from the waist down. Now, one thing that I'll, I'll kind of touch upon that's kind of a misnomer is just because I don't have control of those muscles doesn't mean necessarily that they're not active or that they don't work. Mm -hmm. Um, you have different, you have different cases where, depending on how the damage is done to the spinal cord, somebody, those, those muscles are just non-active, right? Like they don't do anything, but then you have other cases like myself where I don't have, those. they're very active on their own. So I, I deal with a lot of spas, uh, spasms, um, and a spasm can mean that you could physically see it, um, where, you know, my legs are shaking or whatnot and, and the muscles are actually fighting. But in, in other cases, like what I deal with is the muscles don't necessarily, you know, my legs don't shake and they're not all over the place all the time, but they're in constant contraction um, where those muscles are constantly like, you know, contracting and just creating a lot of tension. And especially if I get uncomfortable in any way um, or tight, they're, they're just constantly fighting me, um, which from an athlete standpoint can, can almost be one of the, the more frustrating things at times when I'm doing stuff, but my legs are actually, you know, physically fighting against whatever I'm trying to accomplish versus just being 
stagnant and letting me do my thing, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it was an adjustment. Um, when my accident happened, um, it, it was a racing accident. Um, so just to give you a, a little bit of a background, I, um, I had raced motocross. I, I had raced for quite a while, and then and then I raced uh, professionally as a. I always compare it to baseball because that's the easiest picture to paint. I was more of a minor league athlete, and in, in what I in the the level that I raced at, um, and it, it just got to the point to where I saw I went as far as I was able to go with with my abilities in, in the racing world, and so I had kind of retired from that. But I had made some connections, and and. And I was always known as being one of the more fit riders. Like I was never one of the fastest racers, but I was always, you know, I would be there till the end. And so a lot of these guys that I raced against, you know, would, would be faster than me and have a lot more natural ability, but I would beat them a lot of times because when it came towards the end of the race, I was still going the same pace I was at the beginning of the race. And a lot of them would get tired and fall off. And then I would be able to, to pass them or, you know, or, or outlast them. And so that led to some opportunities to become a strength and conditioning coach on the major league level um, in supercross and motocross and work with some athletes that uh, were, were racing at the factory level and, um, and kind of spin a new career from there. So I, d I did that for a while um, and until I had gotten married and then um, eventually had our daughter and, and being a strength and conditioning coach in pro sports you know, full-time at that level is not, not really conducive to family lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to be an absentee father and whatnot. So I kind of started segmenting out of that. Um, and then, and then when I did that, I, you know, during my time as a strength and conditioning coach, I didn't really race. Well, I didn't race at all. I didn't really ride dirt bikes or anything because I was around it every day. You know, that's not really how I wanted to spend my time off with my family and whatnot. So, so when I transitioned out of being a, um, in conditioning coach, I, you know, I, I did have the desire to kind of get back into doing some, some racing because I'm, I'm definitely a person that has to stay active and that competitive gene is in me. And so, um, so I started racing, um, kind of on a regional level again, from, from a vet class perspective. And, uh, and that's, and that's when I got injured. Um, I was at a winter race and, uh, had, a. It, Basically, we have uh, things here in Boise called inversions where, you know, we'll get stagnant air that'll come in and kind of create a pocket and, and we'll have freezing temperatures for long periods of time. And we, we had had that. And then uh, we had a sand track where they ripped the, the track and the track was fine. But what has happened happened was I had a mishap where I was thrown from my bike and thrown off the track. And so where I hit the ground, it was frozen about two, three inches deep. So it was basically like hitting concrete. And, um, and that's what, you know, caused the accident that, that, um, caused the damage to my spinal cord and paralyzed me. So, um, so sorry, I don't, I, I lost a little bit of where I was going with that, but just to kind of give you a perspective on how I ended up, you know, where I was. And, um, and so when I, when I did become paralyzed and, and went through that, it was something where I, like I kind of talked about, you know, ha having self-awareness. I knew that I had to try and find something to to um, 
channel my competitive drive. I knew that like that would be the the biggest thing for me in acceptance of, you know, becoming a paraplegic is is having something that I could still channel that energy into. And so my initial intentions was to actually get into downhill mountain bike racing, um, feeling like it kind of had a similarity to motocross and whatnot. But I also knew in going through this process that I was going to have to get myself back in shape and, you know, and, and healthy again to be able to to accomplish that. And so, you know, I, I quickly, you know, from from somebody who was a strength and conditioning coach, it, it was to find ways, you know, as a as a paraplegic to to create, you know, quality fitness and get myself into a, into a healthy state again so that I could get into this mountain bike racing. And so kind of searching stuff, um, I found Wheelwad, uh, an organization that kind of leads adaptive uh, CrossFit um, in, in programming and, and basically in, in um, promoting and sanctioning all the competitions. And so I kind of found some of their stuff and was able to kind of, um, you know, and then I found Kevin Ogar online um, and some of the stuff that he was doing which which led me to start to look into crossfit to get in shape and use that as a as a tool you know to 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 create my fitness um as a paraplegic and an adaptive athlete and um and then from there i i discovered that you know there there were competitions there wasn't open and whatnot um and and so i started to participate in that and and when i participated in that i was really hooked and that's when i kind of realized that crossfit was my competitive channel and and the drive um or the the direction that i was going to to drive into that way so um yeah and so from there that 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 just that really you know satisfied me that way it it was awesome to see that that not only giving me that that channel for competition and whatnot but doing crossfit as an adaptive athlete has the same benefits as far as functional fitness that it does for any able-bodied athlete. And that not only was I, you know, competing in this sport and, and having this opportunities, but it was also affecting my, my regular day life. And that just the independence that I was building through my functional fitness and, and making my life, you know, living in a wheelchair and some of the challenges that way easier um, by participating in functional fitness and and having that um, those benefits in my life was was a huge plus as well and that that definitely kept me motivated in, in being able to to have those you know side benefits as well and and that's what also got me to where you know wanting to be at a higher level and be able to turn this on to others you know other adaptive athletes and and, and other paraplegics so that they could benefit from that as well that's great that's a I think that we've seen it in the last couple of years, the shift, well, not so much a shift, but at least for the normal, the normal people that don't want to, that want to compete, but maybe not compete to the level of um, CrossFit games that you're, you know, you can approach CrossFit in any, in any which way you want. There's some people that go just to blow off steam. There's some that um, go to compete, obviously, but I think we're all united in the sense that we're going to achieve a better state of health and health is, um, I'm sure there's a very nice textbook definition for it, but I, I like to think my definition of healthy is, well, I can I can get out of bed in the morning, but my head is also able to get out of bed. So there's nothing weighty pulling me there as well. So I, I that's it's an incredible story. So Yeah, it's um Yeah, that, that story really should motivate anyone that um you know, when 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 you're when when life sort of 
hits you with something that um, there's still a lot that you can do. And not only that you could just do, but you can also be competitive. You could still go to the CrossFit Games and all these things. And I, I hope that uh, our listeners take away um, something from that because, um, you know, you can't just shut your life down for 10 years. Um, it, it just goes by too quick. And there's so many things out there in, in programs, like you said, Wheelwad and other uh, groups that allow people to connect and to train and, um, you know, to stay active and to find real enjoyment in their lives. Uh, I want to go back to something you said before. So, um, you know, you said T12. So you have the cervical spine, which is the top part of the neck uh, into the top part of the back, which is, you know, where the, the thoracic spine starts, which is the T that you mentioned. So T12 is actually pretty low, which is closer um, to your lumbar spine, which is the low back. Um, I, I'm wondering, like, and obviously, as you go higher on the spine and you have that damage, that's where obviously more things below um, can be affected. And this is where you get quadriplegics and things like that. And it obviously affects the muscles. But th there are like, you know, so let's say someone had a very high, um, you know, uh, you know, something in their spine that was damaged very high, like in the cervical spine up at the top, close to the neck. Um, does this shut down muscles like around the organs, like respiratory muscles and other things like that? Um, it, it can. And so that's, that's one of the, you know, I can only speak to a medical professional. So, so I don't have all right. the answers there, but I can speak to, you know, my own um, situation and, and kind of relate to that. So, so yes, it, it, all bodily function below that, whatever that spinal cord injury level is, is affected. And so a lot of people, you know, and it, it was one of the things that was an eye opener to me too, because I, I had no idea and I had the same perspective and that, you know, it, it's easy to look at somebody in a wheelchair and understand that they've lost the use of their legs, right? Um, from, from a spinal cord injury, whatever, but there's a lot of other hidden things that people don't, you know, that don't understand that is affected as well. Um, basically, like, for, for example, for me, as a T12, like anything below that level, I've lost control of. So, so I don't have, you know, bladder or bowel control, um, you know, um, sexual function, like all those things are affected as well, because of my spinal cord injury. Um, and so somebody that's, you know, a higher neck injury, depending on the severity of it, yes, they can have that same effect as far as we, you, you, you got into respiratory and whatnot, like, so depending on the, the, the amount of damage, they can lose, you know, control or, or and function of those as well and may need, you know, be in a situation where they need, you know, assistance, medic, you know, um, machine assistance or um, device assistance as far as being able to breathe or, or do that stuff. And so that can be affected as well from what I understand, you know, um, and how it relates to me and, and, and talking to others. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, um, I just sort of wanted to go in the weeds with that a little bit, just so that people understand like how important the, the spine is and the connection to the brain for all of these things. And, um, and yeah, you, you really, uh, you provided, you know, you provide good information based off of your experience and stuff about what it's really like. Uh, it's not just someone that, um, 
you know, is in a wheelchair, but someone that has to deal with, um, you know, other uh, functions from the injury down um, that are not always, you know, uh, taken into perspective from others. But you obviously make the most of it. And it's a huge motivation factor for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here like I need to go out for a marathon run and I don't even run that much, you know. Um, so that, that's, that's absolutely incredible. Um, I, I do want to get into a little bit about um, your nutrition specifically because, you know, I don't work with besides the uh, Nick Noel that I mentioned earlier in Bellator. Um, what, what are your, uh, you know, what do your macros look like? Because when I do like basal metabolic rate for someone, right, this is how many calories someone burns at rest. This gives me a really good indication of what their caloric intake is going to be on training days versus non-training days and things like that. But that obviously takes into account their weight. Uh, and for you, um, you know, since the lower half of your body um, is essentially, you know, not using, um, I don't know if this is absolutely correct, but it's not using oxygenated blood and things like that, um, you know, for muscle contraction. You said your, your legs do contract, but they're not, you're not getting the amount of volume in terms of reps like you are your upper body. Um, and I'm wondering if your macros change off of that, what your diet looks like as a result of, of that. And, um, you know, just give us your experience uh, on the nutrition side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it was a big change for me. And, um, and, and I, I really want to explain it. And I really want to give the background so people can understand. Um, forgive me, I don't have all the all the science and I, I don't have all the um, professional education behind it. Most of my experience with diet and stuff has just come from my personal experience. And then I, I have worked with a couple of nutritionists. So um, I apologize if this is a little dumbed down as far as how I explain it or, or terms I use and whatnot. But um, the biggest change was I was always so, so back to prior to spinal cord injury, I, I was always a super skinny, you know, high metabolic rate kid. I competed in wrestling at a high level growing up. And then when I got into racing and whatnot, like that's, it's more of an endurance, you know, you think of like a triathlete type, um, uh, physical, you know, build and whatnot. And so I was always, you know, very, you know, lightweighted, like super skinny. Like it was more about muscle density and strength per weight ratio than it was actual mass. And so it, it was a big, you know, it, it took me a lot to put weight on if I needed to put weight on, um, as an athlete. And so when it, it was a big shock to me, when I went through my, um, accident and had my spinal cord injury, like that, that I, I put weight on right away, you know, and especially getting into, I got active right away and whatnot. And obviously there was a period where I lost quite a bit of weight as far as rebuilding myself from, from the accident that I had. But what I didn't realize is that I was, I was putting a lot of extra weight on just because of the, the, uh, I, I don't know if, it, uh, you know, a paraplegic, a lot of stuff in your body and the way it works slows down. Um, so like your digestive system, for instance, because, you know, your circulation and everything else slows down a lot. Um, your, your, your calves and your hamstrings, you know, those are your main blood pumpers. And so even though my legs don't need the blood, like 
the having them, you know, circulate in my body um, was, you know, as a, or for anybody is a big deal. So when you kind of lose that, it definitely changes the way your body is affected with stuff. And so, yeah, so like my digestive system works at a half rate of a normal able body person um, as far as the time it takes to digest something properly and and process, um, you know, process things in, inside my body. So, so I went from somebody who, you know, at max weight before, I think the most I had ever weighed in, in, in a deep strength process before was, was like 195. Um, and that's my whole body we're talking about to, you know, going through my accident, getting into CrossFit and building really being, you know, really active, really not changing the way I ate, um, at first. you know, thinking my body was still the same to where I ballooned up to like 215. And I know that doesn't sound like, you know, that only sounds like a 20 pound difference, but you have to remember that that's a 20 pound difference now being carried up top as far as my waist above where, you know, my legs are, that they're not putting on any weight that, you know, they've actually atrophied and lost weight. So the percentage of, of upper body weight versus lower body weight is extremely skewed. And so um, I, I was pretty heavy set there for a while and, and realized that I needed to make changes to my nutrition program. And so I had started first trying to work with, you know, kind of a, a, a generic new, you know, nutrition person. And, and I'm kind of like you, Jordan, you spoke about, you know, a clean break when yeah. you make those changes and being that kind of mentality, I'm the same way. Yeah, <laughs> and so it works, you know, yeah. it was like, <laughs> If I can remember right, my my macro numbers was uh, when I started working with her was like, you know, um, 180 grams of protein, you know, roughly about the same carbs and, uh, you know, about 70, 70 grams of fat. I think it was um, this was like a couple of years ago. So and, and I've gone through a lot of changes and it's like didn't matter what you really ate to meet those numbers, but just try and meet these numbers. Yeah. And. And so I was doing that and I wasn't really seeing a lot of change and I was getting frustrated. And so what I started to do was really look at certain foods and, and what was, you know, what was affecting me more. And, and so what I discovered is I kind of went off of my, I quit working with her and I kind of went on my own where I just, I just really started looking at what I was eating and how it affected my body. So meaning like what kind of carbs I was eating, what types of proteins, what types of fats. Um, and, and so really like discovering what worked for myself. And and so it kind of went back to my own process again of, you know, with my athletes of small changes, you know, and so, you know, in discover, you know, eating a certain way for a couple of weeks and really, you know, as I went through that really, trying to figure out how those foods affected me, how I felt, my energy levels, um, what I was seeing that way. And, and so what I had started to discover with that was, you know, I really needed to be um, low glycemic. Um, and so that was a big factor. But then within that, there were certain things, you know, that I don't know, they, they might work well for others, but didn't work well for me. For example, like brown rice versus white rice. Um, I couldn't eat brown rice. It, it was too much to process with my slow digestive system. Okay. Um, and so, you know, what? Well, a lot of people think, you know, it's, 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 you know, more nutrient dense and whatnot that it's better for you. It, it was hard for me because I, I, I wouldn't break it down properly. 
Um, and, and just, you know, that's just one example uh, of different things. And so after going through that and really discovering what foods, I, I knew that I still needed to dial my macros in and really figure out where I should be. And so I was able to find uh, another nutritionist that actually she had come to me um, as far as help for CrossFit. She's a, a paraplegic herself uh, at a T3 level and, um, and a nutritionist and a dietitian. And so I was like, well, maybe we can help each other. You know, obviously you understand being a paraplegic and how that, you know, how that affects the body. And so I started working with her and that's where I really got dialed in on my macros. And so between the combination of, of working with her and, and, and it really took my, my macros in a, in a direction that, to be honest, when she first started talking to me about the numbers, I was scared because she wanted to get my, my protein intake down to 100 grams per day. Um, she, you know, my carbs, she wanted to go way up. So I eat anywhere from 215 to 260 carbs, wow. uh, grams of carbs per day. And then I, I'm, I'm low on, uh, on fats. I, I'm about 50 grams of fat per day. Um, and the reason, the way she explained it to me was with a slower digestive system, when you're intaking a lot of protein, it slows everything down and, and it slows down the process. Um, and everything kind of backs up in the body that way, um, because the body's trying to spend whatever energy and, and, you know, circulation and digestive system and just trying to break down all that protein. So, um, basically for me by by eating less protein and and eating at a higher carb level i'm using that the the carbohydrates you know and and, and clean carbs you know which you probably you know get that yeah. um as far as low glycemic you know complete carbs and whatnot um <clears throat> by using those as my as my energy you know for whatever my daily processes are um my body is using that for those carbs for energy and it's using the protein just strictly to rebuild. Um, and you know, the fats fit in where they fit in, but, um, but that was the, where I really started to see a change in a big turnaround. And so now I'm currently down to a hundred back to 179 pounds, um, which is really ideal for me, especially as a competitor. And because I, I really started to struggle with gymnastics movements, you know, muscle ups, pull ups, rope climbs, you know, a lot of these different things because I was so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was I was holding on to a lot of inflammation. Um, and, and that was the big problem is 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 the inflammation I was holding on to was was most of what was carrying that extra weight. Um, and, and so it was slowing down my recovery. Um, it was, you know, affecting my range of motion. Um, and, and for somebody that, you know, going through 17 years of racing, my body's banged up. <laughs> I mean, aside from, you know, being a paraplegic, I have scar tissue, you know, I could, I could list off for, you know, a laundry list of injuries that I've had over a 17 year uh, career of racing. You know, I have bone spurs in certain places. Um, you know, tendonitis, arthritis. And so carrying extra inflammation was even more of an, uh, an impact for me in trying to be competitive and efficient, you know, in, in training full time. Yeah. And, and so that, that inflammation was huge. And when I, when I was able to, you know, make things more efficient in my digestive system for my state, um, a lot of that, 
that inflammation, you know, started to secede and, and, and really go away. And, and so from there, that's when I really started seeing, um, you know, the most, um, improvement in my body. And, um, and it was a night and day change for me over a, really over a, a six month period to, to where I am now. Um, and, and how I'm able to perform, um, it's interesting because, you know, you, you, sometimes you panic and you look at what you lost. And for me, it was a lot of my heavy lifts. I was always one of the heavier lifters, mm-hmm. you know, before with more body mass. Um, but I gained so much, um, as a CrossFit athlete with, you know, my gymnastics, um, uh, improvements and, and just overall improvements everywhere else and, and being able to recover and, and, you know, being able to increase my volume and, and the way I train and whatnot, because I wasn't carrying all that inflammation and build up that way. That's crazy. Did you, did you see any, so when you were experimenting with any of your foods, did you sort of, did you research any foods that have that anti-inflammatory nature or was it just, um, yeah, how did you, like, how did you do that? I'm just, I'm curious about this. Like, yeah, so it was really trying to discover what foods, um, you're exactly right. What was, was affecting me from, from a, from a inflammatory uh, nature in that, you know, you know, causing bloating and whatnot. And so even, um, and, and so that was a big one, but then even when I was eating those foods based on my activity, um, so for example, like, you, you know, my diet from, from one stance can almost look a lot like a, a bodybuilding diet and that I eat a lot of, you know, clean, like just simple, you know, like a lot of white rice, yeah. um, but which a lot of people, you know, want to associate with a bodybuilding diet. But for me, what I've noticed is I don't eat rice after lunch. Um, so for dinner or whatnot, like I, I, I have to eat, um, because if I do it create, it holds on to more inflammation going into the evening and, um, and I have a lot of bloating and whatnot in, yeah. in processing that and breaking that down. Um, so, and I don't know, that may be common knowledge for others, but for me, that was just some of the things I discovered in playing around with certain foods and when I ate them yeah. and how I ate them for myself. That's so huge so. though. I think, um, I, I've talked to some people that just, I've, have found out about the podcast in my own gym and, you know, they're like, well, yeah, I take a shake after after training other than that I, you know i don't really know what else to do and i'll say to them you know so when you when you're eating your carbs what kind of carbs are you eating and when you're eating them and you, i think you'd be surprised at uh some of the answers you get one thing i want to mention quickly about the about the bodybuilding white rice thing is i i i don't sleep very much at night so i end up going on like youtube and i'll read about like bodybuilders and i i need to try it myself uh-huh. but there's a guy that he had the same problem with uh inflammation or just couldn't get the brown rice in like enough. Like he was eating two, three cups of rice. He's like, yeah, I just couldn't do the brown rice. But he suggested trying sushi rice, which is, uh, I think, functionally, it's a short grain rice that has a different, um, different bro, a different profile than your long grain, uh, brown rice. So it, I don't know. Give it a try, and and next time you come on, just uh, let us know, and we could talk about it. But I need to try it too. But that was a, that's yeah, really cool. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, that you, you, your experimentation yourself is, is, uh, is awesome because you have to individualize these things and work with your coach to figure out uh, more of an athlete centric approach that's going to help long term. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize the stomach is sort of like the second brain, like it has uh, almost as many neurons in it as 
as the brain itself. And uh, it's, you know, um, you know, when you ingest things, uh, it's one of our main um, sort of, uh, you know, systems that we interact with on the outside world that goes inside the food that we put into our body. And if you're eating something that you can't digest properly, um, this can affect mood, it can affect sleep, uh, it can affect uh, inflammation, obviously, um, and a, a wide variety of other things. Why a lot of people, um, you know, when they don't eat right and they, their food doesn't digest and absorb properly, they end up with depression and all of these other, um, you know, all of these other things that affect their daily lives. And um, to go back to sort of your macros that you're on, I think, you know, for protein, we try to get people anywhere from 0.7 grams per pound to uh, one pound, um, you know, one gram per pound. And I think based off of your okay. upper body mass, which is where your muscle is, that uh, 100 grams actually fits really well. Your carbohydrates are based off of your training. You're training extremely hard. Some people can take up to three grams per pound. Uh, so if we estimate your upper body to be like 130 or something like that, you know, you could be upwards of 300, like you said, and uh, still if you're digesting those things properly. And then the last thing is fat uh, around 50 grams, uh, which for performance athletes, I would say um, is moderate to low. But, you know, fat is the slowest uh, digesting macronutrient. And uh, it could be that... Um, you know, it works best for you to be on more of a lower fat intake because, um, you know, that digestion absorption uh, takes so long. Same thing with protein as well. Uh, it does take really long. The fat's even slower. So, um, yeah, and as long as you're, you, you know, what, what time do you typically train? So I typically, remind me to go back to that, but before I do, I want to yeah. touch upon one thing that you said as far as with the fats and just kind of a little insight there. And so, yes, I, you know, based on what you described on the fats, it's interesting because, um, that is the one thing that probably has the most fluctuation or adjustment in my diet at times. So part of my diet plan is I, I follow, you know, regimentedly what I described to you guys, but I do have a refueling day, um, once a week. And, what I tend to find is, you know, as far as in listening to my body, and, and I think a lot of times if we really pay attention to the types of foods we crave, we understand what our body may be lacking. Um, and and so for me, I what I really discover on those refueling days is the thing that I crave the most and the thing that I end up adjusting the most is my fats. And so I'll take anywhere from 70 up to 90 grams of fat on that refueling day um, because that's what my body's craving. Um, you know, pro generally I have a little, a few more carbs. I, I rarely, well, I don't, I, the protein always stays the same, but it's the carbs and the fats where that tends to adjust on those refueling days because of where my, what my body is craving as far as the rebuilding, you know, from, from whatever that week's activity is. So, uh, I, you know, I think it's interesting that you talk about that being low because that is the one thing that I noticed that, if I need to adjust, you know, depending on whatever my training load is or what, whatever my activity was that week, that is the one thing that, that does is affected the most. <laughs> so, yeah, um, no, it makes sense for sure. But back to, yeah, but back to what you, you were asking me. So I tend to train most days heavy in the afternoon. Um, my, my largest period is generally I start one to one thirty in the afternoon and I train till six, six thirty at night. 
Um, I, two, three days a week, I do do a morning session as well. Um, it's more accessory work, so it's not as uh, physical from from a, a muscle fatigue standpoint. It's more technical um, on you know working on different you know. Um, I do a lot of core work, you know, where, where I'm, where I'm mostly upper body. Um, it's easy to focus on, you know, your chest, your shoulders, your, your upper back and whatnot. But I, th I find that where I'm limited on what, you know, muscles I have available to me, the more that I can incorporate the better. Right. Um, and so I do a lot of accessory work that's more focused on core and not just necessarily building that core, but building uh, technical efficiency in that core as far as balance and whatnot, because I don't have a base like, like an able body athlete, whereas, you know, where, where, yeah, you may be sitting on a bench, for example, and doing a bench press or, 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 or something of that nature, you're still going to plant your, plant your legs for a foundation as far as a balance and, um, and keeping yourself, you know, uh, you know, foundationally strong to go through that exercise or that movement. I don't have that. Like when I'm on a bench, I'm, I'm literally floating. It would be like me, you know, being on a, a BOSU ball or, or, or a, a stability ball, a, you know, or, or a, a Pilates, but it has same, same term for the same piece of equipment, but you get what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And doing a bench press where you're floating all over the place and you, you're having to keep your core engaged to keep yourself centered and not flying off the ball with the bar. Um, that's how I am sitting on a bench. And so, so doing other exercises to really build the reflexes and the, and the stability in, in my core makes a big difference. So I do a lot of accessory work. I'll, I'll sit on a bench and, you know, throw a, a lacrosse ball or a med ball or something at a trampoline where it's bouncing back to me and whatnot and trying to, you know, create those reflexes and that, and that stability balance in my core. Um, I'll do a lot of floating stuff. Uh, where I'm, you know, using a med ball to, to do certain movements and whatnot. And really, like I said, build that foundational balance in my core, because that affects me when I'm, when I am, you know, doing cleans with a barbell in my chair or, or other movements that way as well. And so that's a lot of what my morning sessions look like. It's just, just working that, that um, additional technical accessory work. So, sorry, I got off a little bit on a, on a skew there, but <laughs> no, never a problem. That, that's... No, it's good, man. Yeah. We, um, honestly, I could talk to you about your nutrition. There's so much more I want to go into. You don't have the time and your strength and, con and conditioning and, um, you know, your macro breakdown and everything like that. So we're definitely going to be chatting, um, more in the future about, uh, you know, some of the specifics and individualization of your diet and how you utilize that to, uh, you know, become a better athlete. Um, but um, we'll have to bring you back on and sure. because this was absolutely sure. awesome. We, yeah. we loved your story. Our listeners are going to love your story and hopefully find a lot of motivation from it, um, from the nutrition side, the strength and conditioning side, and just, you know, getting up in the morning and, uh, you know, being grateful and uh, taking care of their, of their body that they have, you know, because you really only get one of them, you know. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, um, Jed, why don't you tell uh, all of our listeners where they could find you on social media if they want to reach out and uh, and chat with you a little bit more? 
Yeah. Um, so the, the easiest is my handle is, uh, at, you know, for both uh, YouTube and um, and for my Instagram is at is just my full name at Jedediah Snelson. And so just to spell that out real quick, it's J-E-D-I-D-I-A-H-S-N-E-L-S-O-N. Awesome, man. Well, I'm sure you're going to have people looking you up, asking you some questions. We're going to be in contact. Jordan, my man. Always a pleasure. And this was, yeah, yeah, I'm, man, I got, I got so many more questions. We're we're definitely having you on again. So yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. It was so, so damn informative. It's yeah. My mind. Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. This is the Starving Podcast, your host, Justin Romare, Jordan Bishop, and the wonderful Jed. Hopefully inspired you today. You can find us at, on Instagram at the underscore starving underscore podcast or in your preferred podcast app. You can also find more nutrition and uh, strength and conditioning information on uh, consistencybreedsgrowth.com and our Instagram handle, which is CBG Online Sports. Guys, it's been real. Always We're going to chat again soon. Hell yeah. Bye. 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 science.